Hello, this is Joan DeMartin, and welcome to Crime and Punishment, Why the Poor Stay Poor in America. The title of today's post is White Collar Crime. It costs us way more in dollars than street crime, but few know its reach. I'm going to start with a quote from the National Law Review from November of 2021. Quote, the Biden administration is prioritizing the investigation and prosecution of corporate crime and is giving DOJ prosecutors broader power to do so. Unless it's a major Ponzi scheme, we don't hear too much about what has been dubbed white-collar crime. And that's a shame because it costs its victims and the American taxpayers between $300 billion and $800 billion in a year, according to FBI estimates. On the other hand, street crime, anything from petty theft to crimes that involve violence and or loss of life, we hear about daily, especially with today's ever-present random gun violence. However, it is estimated that the annual cost of street crime, not counting the tragic loss of life, I'm guessing, is about a paltry $16 billion by comparison. White-collar crime is just as tragic in its own way. Monetary crimes like embezzlement, various types of fraud, cheating on taxes, and money laundering are just a few of the crimes the FBI classifies as white-collar criminal activity and is generally defined as nonviolent crimes committed for financial gain. According to a Business Insider article published in 2022, quote, these types of crimes are often committed with elaborate, sophisticated plans that are designed to avoid detection, end quote. And the perpetrators are typically white males with college degrees, married and between the ages of 30 and 45 years old. These crimes are usually investigated and prosecuted on a federal level, since most white-collar crime operations cross state lines. Thus, the waxing and waning of prosecutions with various presidential administrations. Here's a graph that shows the rates of white-collar criminal prosecutions from 2002 to 2022 produced by the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, otherwise known as TRAC, a, a data-gathering research and distribution organization of Syracuse University. It's a great resource. Research suggests that the spike in 2010 and 2011 under President Obama's administration reflects the prosecution of banks for their role in the financial crisis known as the Great Recession. And the precipitous dip in prosecution in 2020 was at least partially related to the COVID-19 pandemic. White-collar prosecutions have barely ticked up under the Biden administration, but they are promising a but they, the administration, is promising a strong effort in the coming years and to particularly address the corporate repeat offenders with stiffer parameters for assessing and punishing companies that routinely break the law. 
Settlement agreements, often known as deferred prosecution agreements, and promise to change their corporate culture, only to go right back to violating the same laws and oftentimes the very agreements they signed. One reason for the recidivism might be that almost no one serves jail time. The fines although they do sound like whoppers, are ridiculously low by comparison to a company's profits, and thus breaking the law becomes more profitable than complying with it. This New Yorker article from 2017 describes in great detail why and how the banking industry, as one major example of white-collar crime, and its CEOs avoid jail time. At that time, in 2017, the prosecution rate for white-collar crime had reached a 20-year low, and journalists were taking deep dives into the whys behind the apparent free-for-all fraud perpetrated by the financial industry and the lack of accountability for its key decision-makers. It turns out there was and is a lot wrong with these type of deferred prosecution agreements. Here's what David Ogden, a deputy attorney general in President Obama's administration, said. Quote, but since these settlements lacked transparency, the public didn't receive basic information about why the agreement had been reached, how the fine had been determined, and what type of scale of wrong, the scale of wrongdoing was, and which cases prosecutors never took up. These collaborations between prosecutors and corporate chieftains came to feel stage-managed rather than punitive. End quote. One startling example of this type of settlement is the 2013 agreement between Chase Bank and the Justice Department, touted in this press release. The DOJ fined Chase Bank a total of $13 billion for its role in, quote, misleading investors about securities containing toxic mortgages, end quote, that played a large part in the real estate market collapse precipitating the Great Recession. At that time, this was the largest fine ever assessed a single entity in American history. In 2013, J.P. Morgan Chase earned $17.9 billion in net income on revenue of $96.6 billion and had $2.4 trillion in assets and $211.2 billion in stockholders' equity. In the same year, the CEO and chairman of Chase Bank, Jamie Dimon, earned a salary of $20 million, $7 million over his earnings from the previous year. So in effect, he earned a big fat raise for violating the law and costing his company $13 billion, which played a big part in pushing the economy into a crisis not seen since the Great Depression. What's causing this corporate recidivism again? It seems like our past and current pattern of being tough on the little guys and going easy on the big guys is not only backfiring, 
but contributing to an economic spiral that only benefits the ultra-rich. But there's a bit of irony and humor in these scenarios because they've been repeated by humans for thousands of years. Can you imagine the planning and scheming and energy that go into the quest to bilk people out of their money so you can make more? Speaking of bilking, spend a few minutes watching this 1950s sitcom, Sergeant Bilko, which plays the scenario for laughs, and I can tell you it gets them. It actually stands the test of time, I think. So let me know what you think about white-collar crime and our country's failure to hold these criminals fully accountable. How do we break this pattern? Let her rip in the comment section below. As always, I appreciate your interest and thoughtful ideas that make our crime and punishment community a welcoming space to visit and chat. There's no time like the present to become a free or paid subscriber, and there's no time like the new year to upgrade your free subscription to paid. It's easy and will allow me to continue and expand crime and punishment. Thanks in advance for your support. I really appreciate it. Remember, Crime and Punishment, Why the Poor Stay Poor in America is a reader-supported publication. To receive new posts and support my work, consider becoming a free or paid subscriber. Thank you so much for reading and listening, and I'll see you next time.